Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents. Frank Flake here from Ethical Property Partners, the place where we help you to make annual returns on your property on a monthly basis. So in this monologue episode, which we're getting fantastic feedback about, so I'm gonna do more of these, where you get to listen to my dulcet tones, really exploring a topic. Today's topic is all about mortgage applications. Now, when I started investing in property, which was 2006, I think I bought my first property, I couldn't believe how easy it was to borrow 100,000 pounds. My mortgage broker at the time, Fred his name was, he was unbelievable, used him for quite a few years actually. I could phone him up, give him the address, number of bedrooms, and whether it was terraced or semi or detached, and basically he'd go get me a mortgage. It was that easy. The next thing I would see, maybe only a week later, would be a mortgage deed. The valuation would take place. I'd have to arrange with the letting agent or the, the vendor to let the value in. And literally, I'd have a mortgage offer within seven days, 10 days, 14 days. It was so quick. It was unbelievable and easy. The amount of paperwork required was was so low. He would keep all of my details so he would know what my salary was he'd know and I don't think you had to even declare how many properties you had you might have had to you certainly didn't need to give any more than the number of properties it was just a small thing that needed to be done maybe slightly harder than getting a an EPC maybe slightly harder than getting an EICR electrical certificate but not massively difficult at all it was a, a small thing probably on a par with letting the property i have just finished two days training with the england and wales epp partners we do two full days once a quarter and then a, a day every month and um the first day we did uh, monday this week we did a mastermind a whole day mastermind where we spent really good chunk of time on every single partner's business and we went around the table everyone had their pre-submitted questions that we'd all pondered and then we gave as much value to each person's business and one, one of the questions was about mortgages and it was only in hearing everyone's experiences and um, really going into depth about what mortgage companies are currently asking for and it's very hard to understand the landscape when all you have is your experience but when you've got something like EPP where there's a whole gaggle of us all doing the same thing all applying for mortgages with different lenders all doing sophisticated purchasing all building portfolios rapidly that you get a really good overview of the landscape of the lending environment and it was only in hearing all of the experiences I realized that market the lending market has changed so much it's now harder to get bridging finance than it was to get regular 25-year mortgages 10 years ago it's so onerous I've, I've got a transaction at the moment and <laughs> when I was planning for this podcast I was thinking should I admit to this or not but we uh, we have a, a list of values and one of our values on EPP is open and honest communication and so in that vein of being real um, and being congruent I'm going to admit to you that I signed up well 
my team signed up. I've actually never seen the property, but my team signed up a property just over 12 months ago. And we are completing on that property this week. So that's taken just over a year to buy the property. It's unbelievable. It's got to be my longest transaction ever. The vendor has been very understanding. It's a testament to our systems, a testament to our level of rapport building and quality of communication that we've managed to to keep the the deal alive for that period of time. And it it's largely down to the lenders. We've had problems with valuation. We've had lenders saying yes in principle and then changing their mind even though nothing's changed after they've seen the valuation. We've had valuers that are being like one valuer has said it's unmortgageable another one has said it's a a commercial property and another has said it's residential (laughs) the problem is you don't know what they're going to say it's an unusual property to be fair it's it's separated out it's a it's a hmo it's a five bedroom hmo is what we were contesting uh it's fully tenanted we're buying it with tenants in in situ etc but the valuers can't decide on what it is and so you tell the lender that it's a a five-bedroom HMO, and then their valuer goes out and says, "Oh no, this is a commercial dwelling." In fact, we've had it's it's um that, that's it. It's a residential. Um, it's a four-bed uh, HMO with a commercial element to it. And it's like, how have you got that? Well, that looks like an office. Yes, it has an office chair and a, and a desk in it, but it's not commercial. Doesn't have planning from commercial, etc. Then another one has gone out and said, um, it's uh, not a HMO, and it's like, well, there's five tenants in it, and and another one has said, yes, that's a a five-bedroom HMO. But the problem is, each time you apply for a mortgage, it takes ages for the application to be um, approved. They ask loads of questions. The amount of data that mortgage lenders now want about investors who have a portfolio is unbelievable. So what I thought I would do is I would put on this podcast for you guys to give you a heads up on what lenders are now looking for because as entrepreneurs we have a responsibility to our vendors and i was talking about this on monday actually we have a responsibility to our vendors to make the process as smooth and as swift as possible and that might seem a bit ridiculous given that it's 12 months that this particular deal has taken but i can honestly say we've done our absolute best we've absolutely tried our hardest we've been on it we've we had the legals done you know in a really short period of time and then i've had to sit around then we've had to redo the searches because they only last i think searches last three or six months so we've had to redo them might have had to redo the searches twice i think we now are on search indemnity um because uh, we didn't want to do them a third or fourth time it's just crazy so what i thought i'd do is i would give you my take on what lenders are now looking for and what they're absolutely not happy to lend on so that you can get your affairs in order so that you can fulfill your obligations to your vendors and of course not waste tons and tons of hours sorting stuff out when you have a live deal because the problem with sorting stuff out when you have a live deal is you normally will run out of time and the vendor will get fed up or the vendor will be repossessed or um, the deal will fall out of bed in some way And so it's really important when thinking about mortgages that you set your affairs in order 
ready to apply for finance before you've actually got a deal and that's what I'm going to help you to do in this episode so that when the deal comes along you've got it all ready and you can literally bang it to your broker the same day. I've covered on the podcast previously that you need a mortgage broker that's like property investing 101. Don't go and talk to your high street bank about getting a buy to let mortgage that's just fraught with with uh, pitfalls so go to a broker if they're any good they will take a look at the property on google street view they'll ask you a ton of questions about it now your broker's not being awkward they are preempting the questions that the lender are likely to ask so be open be full in your answers um and then the broker can pick a lender who's likely to lend now this goes against a lot of advice but i'm not price sensitive when getting lending if you're buying below market value if you're using sophisticated monetization strategies to get 33 50 75 100 percent return on your money invested you shouldn't really be that fussed about getting a mortgage product at 3.5 percent or 4.5 percent just go with the product that's going to get you the lending the quickest that's that's my mantra because you can be penny rich or oh, i'm going to go with this product but pound poor it takes you three times as long to get it and then you lose the deal and now you're thousands and thousands of pounds out of pocket so in terms of what you need to have in order you need to have your affairs in order and you need to have the property affairs in order you might go well that's the vendor's responsibility no your responsibility if you're buying bmv if you're buying in a sophisticated manner um, is to have the vendor able to sell it to you as quickly as you're able to buy it there's no point going well i've done my bit mr vendor you've you've taken too long if the vendor then pulls out the transaction it doesn't matter if you're right or not you've still lost thousands of pounds in the deal so you have to have both sides of the equation ready to go and of course you can't sort out the vendor side until you've found the vendor and started the process so the bit that you can start out in advance is your side of things so what do they need to see well first off they're going to see proof of a of of, uh, identification so photographic um, driver's license or passport pretty bog standard then they're going to see need to see two recent proof of addresses so you want to make sure all your bank statements are in hard copy you want to make sure that you've got all those they're going to want to see certified id so that is a color photocopy of your passport or driver's license that a lawyer has signed and stamped to say yes this is a true likeness of the original now you can go get those done now you can go and get three five ten of those done now they'll normally charge for them but it's much easier to get them done now those don't expire by the way those are good for as long as the document is good um, so you could go get all those done now and then you've got them ready to to fire off your proof of address they do expire you need them within three months typically apart from your council tax bill that lasts 12 months because it's an annual bill so you can have those ready to go and if they keep dropping into your through your letterbox once a month then you've got your most recent ones to show them and so that's the basic stuff now we're coming to the next bit the next bit is they want to see how you live from a financial perspective and they're wanting to see normal or vanilla as i like to 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 call it so what what does normal look like well normal looks like a bank account with your 
main income source coming into it can be a salary can be a dividend from your company can be a, a wage from your company um can be income from property although i'll come back to that and then they want to see you living on that money so they want to see a mortgage going out for where you live or rent going out they want to see gas electricity they want to see um petrol food they want to see you living out that account if you show them an account that doesn't have that living expense going through it income and expenditure then they're going to ask to see that account where you live from so that's the first thing Second thing is if you show them all that on a credit card, which is fine, make sure that when your broker puts the application in, you disclose the correct balance on the credit card. So I've got an American Express credit card. I think it's got a 30,000 pound limit or so. In fact, I found I them and I think it's got an unlimited, <laughs> no limit. But anyway, um, the most I've ever used, I think is about 30K on it. That is a big amount to a mortgage lender. So if you say that you've got a five grand balance on your Amex and then show them the statement three weeks later and it's got a 20 grand balance on it, they're not going to like that. That's not normal. That's that's a big change from what you declared. So be really aware of this. Be really aware of um, what you're going to present to them and that it tallies with your answers now there's nothing fraudulent about that there's nothing even incorrect it was a truthful statement when you made your mortgage application and it's a truthful representation when you show the statement to them today it's just that three weeks has changed the, the figures significantly but we're not talking about fraud or honesty here of course we're going to answer all their questions honestly of course we're going to be open with them and provide them with all the answers they require but what we're talking about is answering their questions and providing them with the evidence they require in such a way as it makes it easy for them to approve us that's what we're talking about so making sure there aren't any inconsistencies making sure we show them the right account the first time so they don't have to ask again i always used to say every question that a lender asks delays the transaction by a week now it's more like two or two and a half weeks that's how slow they are now i'm recording this in March 2022 the market the the lending market is starting to return to normal we're not at sky high transactions now this is you know the new normal stock is coming back into the marketplace we don't have this massive shortage of of stock it's still pretty short and um, there's certainly an over demand for property at the moment which is driving up prices I think East Midlands has gone up by 10 no 11.6 percent I think in the last 12 months now so that's where the majority of my properties are I think we're 10.8 percent across the country capital growth so you know those kind of growth figures have not been seen since 2006 2007 which is interesting because we all know what happened at the end of 2007 the start of 2008 however that's a, a topic uh, the cyclical nature of uh, the property market is a topic for another podcast for sure but in terms of answering those questions for for your mortgage lender you need to be able to demonstrate to them how you survive now every single expenditure they're going to look at so if you're if you have a mortgage on there for a property now they're going to want to see your whole portfolio they're going to want to see your income and expenditure for your personal living expenses as well if there's a mortgage being paid on there that doesn't show up anywhere else or and i used to be great at this 
great being rubbish. I used to be rubbish at this because I deal in broad strokes. I, I, I can remember most of my mortgages. This, this astounds, it astounds Vander, my wife, because last week uh, we let a property and we let it for more than we'd ever let it before. I, th- I think it was um, £530 previously and we've just let it for £750. Um, that's a massive jump, unbelievable jump. And a lot of our properties are going up by that kind of amounts at the moment. And um, we were just chatting about it. And I said, that is unbelievable. I think our mortgage on that is like 350 360 She said, that's amazing. It's 361 And I, I just I, I have a head for those, those kind of numbers. But notice it's like 350 I was between 11 and £1 out. Now, that level of inaccuracy for making strategic decisions is awesome. It's, it's, it's great. That, that's like brilliant for strategy. But it's not good enough. It's rubbish for mortgage applications. So when you're coming to mortgage applications, you have to be bang on. If it's £361.77, that's what has to go on the mortgage application. And you might think, wow, why do they need that level of detail? It's because you have a high detail person checking all of this or computer checking all of this. And if there's a discrepancy, it comes off the conveyor belt and sits on an underwriter's desk. And what your job as a a property investor is to have all of your transactions go along the conveyor belt that is normality or vanilla buy to let transactions. As soon as something flags on there as different, it gets picked up off the conveyor belt and sits on an underwriter's desk. And then every time the underwriter asks a question, it adds two, two and a half weeks, which is going to scupper your 28-day purchase. (laughs) One of those will scupper it. So... You need to make sure that all of your numbers are accurate. You also need to be looking out for things they're not going to like. So if you're paying utilities on more than one property, so let's say that you're separated or you um, uh, are paying adult children bills, or if you're linked to another property and you haven't declared that, that will flag up for for you and will delay your transaction. The... Uh, One that not many people talk about at all is gambling. If they see any Bet365 or uh, William Hill or whatever on your bank statements or credit card statements, they are not going to want to lend to you. I've had people refuse on that before and they never say, oh, yeah, and (laughs) oh, we don't we don't lend to gamblers. They're not allowed to say that. But that is my personal experience. I don't gamble myself. Um, very much at all <laughs> I had to qualify that I do I like going to a casino but I certainly don't gamble online and uh, and I certainly use cash if I do so I've not come um, a cropper on this but I know people who have where they've just you know had a flutter 10 20 quid on a weekend on a rugby match or whatever but they've done it online through their um, credit card or or debit card and that has scuppered them from mortgage so be cautious of the image that your financial statements um, create that 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 would be my my take home message. So just be aware of that. Um, if you've bought something on higher purchase, so if you've got a car on higher purchase, or and you can do anything now, you can do sofas, you can do jacuzzis, you can you can buy a lot of stuff on. I think you can do white goods as well on higher purchase. In fact, Amazon <laughs> will let you do most things on payment over time. Well, you have to consider that some of those agreements, it would depend on the agreement, is actually a loan. You've taken receipt of the goods and then you owe money over time. So just be aware of that because you might think, oh, you know, it's only 50 quid a month for five months, you know, for my super duper fridge or whatever. 
But if you don't just declare that and then they pick up on this £50 a month going to SMEG, what's this for? And you go, oh, it's a, a, a loan. Oh, it's a loan payment. Ah, you didn't declare that lending, did you, uh, Mr. Smith? And all of a sudden, like, the underwriter thinks that you're dodgy or, ah, oh, this isn't a vanilla one. What else are they not being completely truthful about? And it was a completely honest honest mistake. You didn't even think of it as a loan. You went through all your mortgages, you went through your car payments, and you thought that you were you were being completely open and honest. But now, all of a sudden, they're, they're frowning on your transaction so be really careful about the expenditure but be equally careful about the income so what they want to see is and this makes me laugh because what they want to see is one employer paying you a shed load of money through paye that's what they want to see now (laughs) the fact that that costs you a ton of tax the fact that that one employer is actually really risky because they could make you redundant they could go out of business etc on any given day doesn't seem to factor into the mortgage lenders criteria one bit they just want to know that you've got an employment contract they want to see three months usually of wage slips and then they want to work out the affordability based on that mortgage that that's for a personal mortgage for a buy to let mortgage they just want to see that you're above the threshold typically 25 30 grand anything above that and they'll be happy the majority of lenders will be completely happy some lenders will lend on lower amounts but that will get you access to the majority of the market however being sophisticated investors most of you are probably not wanting to pay 50 percent tax which is what a you know, someone paying themselves 300 grand a year are going to basically pay half that money in tax before they bought anything and paid another 20% in VAT. (laughs) But that probably means that you are paying yourself dividends. It probably means that you're paying yourself a basic salary of a few hundred pounds a a month in order to get your NI contributions without paying lots of PAYE and national insurance. And then you are... Um, taking the rest in dividends that's probably how you're paying yourself you might be taking some money in capital gains especially if you're being smart about it I make sure I sell a property every year that I've held for a while so that my wife and I can take 24 25,000 pounds tax-free because the government very generously gives us a 12 and a bit thousand pound capital gains tax allowance every year so there's there's 24 25 grand tax-free straight away so long as you've held that property for a while you can't buy one today and sell it next month because that would be trading that would be income it counts as a capital gain so i just make sure i buy one every year and sell one every year and and that's a nice tax-free income but the mortgage lender won't want to see won't count that they won't they won't want to see 25 grand coming in january and then you live off it for five months six months They want to see a regular income coming in every month. And so even though that's a completely legitimate way of paying for your um, living, if you're switched on about getting mortgages, you wouldn't sell two properties a year and then live off the capital gains. They will hate that. They won't want to lend to you. They might not tell you, but they'll say, hmm, yeah, we're not going to lend to you. (laughs) You're left wondering. So it's fine to have that income coming in. I'd actually suggest you don't bring capital gains tax income into that living account that we've talked about because that's probably 
going to confuse matters I'd probably have that sat somewhere else like in some kind of savings account and show that as your proof of deposit to, to purchase the actual property and then now you're keeping things simple yes this is what I live out of this is the money that comes in every month whatever it is three five ten twelve fifteen grand a, a month and then you've got this is the money going out every month it's always nice to have a little surplus they will love to see that there's an extra two three four five hundred pounds a month and that 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 account gradually gets larger that's what they want to see and again you might think well this is you know I've had people say this is really dishonest Frank you know you're you're creating an image and my argument is no we're just living our lives in such a way that it's going to make it easy to get mortgages we're not pretending that money's there that money's really there but rather than take it out and go pop it in a savings account and make that account look really confused or make it look like we're having to keep topping it up from savings have that account on its own show a really positive in control stable way of living that's what i'm talking about and so the income streams that they would like to see are regular ones now the problem is regular income as dividend can easily be classed as salary by hmrc so you've got a bit of a balance there to to strike but that's what you're looking for and your accountant can advise you on that they are likely to ask for an accountant's letter anyway to prove that your dividends are affordable by your company so you need to you can even have that letter ready or have prepped your accountant to be ready to write that letter when they ask for it if they ask for it none of this is certain but all of these things will make it more likely that you get a uh, that you're successful in your mortgage and that you get your mortgage more swiftly that's the key thing so my suggestion guys when working out how best to present that income coming in is to have your different forms of income siloed into different bank accounts and even into different companies if if that's the corporate structure that you've gone with so for example if you do some consultancy and many of us do consultancy because we might do some one-off joint ventures etc what you put on your invoice is really important so if you are in a joint venture with someone but the property is held in their name you probably don't want to put that property down on your portfolio spreadsheet that goes to the lender because they do check land registry and they will want to see the mortgage being paid etc and this again is well we want to answer truthfully but we don't want to answer in such a way that creates a massive headache for the lender and a massive headache for us so let's just describe a uh, fictitious situation a person and i'm being deliberately vague because how you describe this situation will impact on whether the lender likes you wants to lend you or is suspicious of you and doesn't want to lend you but the situation is the same so you have a property let's just keep the numbers easy 100 grand property that makes you 200 pounds a month and has got um 30,000 pound um equity in it now it's held in another person's name but you are entitled when the property is sold to 50% of the equity and you are paid half of the cash flow half of the positive cash flow every month so you get 100 pounds a month 
Now, you could describe that as, well, I own half this house. But if you put that on your portfolio spreadsheet, for starters, it's going to really confuse them because you've got £50,000 house, £15,000 equity, £100 a month coming in. So they're going to ask to see, um, or they may ask to see, well, where's where's the mortgage payment? Well, there isn't one because you're, the, the person owns a house, pays the mortgage. Um, well, where's the rent coming in then? well there's there's no rent coming in i just get the split the profit 100 pounds you can see how you can very rapidly go down a rabbit hole and it's non-vanilla instantly and now all of a sudden they think you're lying and it's not very clear at all however if you consider that same situation you don't own the house at all legally it's owned by this other person you can call them a joint venture partner you can call them a um a future vendor you can call them whatever you want um, and again and if you're thinking well no I need to call them whatever's on the paperwork yeah but you decide what goes on the paperwork so when you set this deal up you can put down on the paperwork whatever you want to call them and so they could even be a vendor um, uh, that's selling the property to you in the future so you don't actually own this property now if you're thinking oh i'm not sure about this frank bounce it off your conveyancer bounce it off your mortgage broker and say look this is the situation i'm about to do this deal how best shall i structure it in order to be able to get mortgages in the future and people often don't they think about the deal on its own and a, and a solicitor especially a corporate solicitor will only think about this deal and protecting your interest in this deal an accountant will help you with the tax now on this deal and in the future but the accountant won't be thinking about you getting a mortgage in the future that's you you need to bring all these aspects together so another way that would probably be more um attractive to a mortgage lender is probably going to help the mortgage lender to understand the situation in its simplest form is for you not to put that property on your portfolio spreadsheet because legally you don't own the property um, and depending on the paperwork you don't even own an interest in the property and that £100 a month can go into a separate company it could be the same one that the capital gain goes into. And you might be thinking, well, how does that capital gain go into a different company? Surely the capital gain goes to wherever the property, um, whatever entity owns the property. I'll come back to that in a moment. And that £100 a month is just invoiced by the company as a consultancy or whatever you want it to be called because that's whatever you've set it up as in the start. So now all of a sudden you've got a company that just has this £100 a month dropping in. And of course, you might have multiples of these. I probably have 20 or 30 of these uh, JV agreements uh, that I've built up over the years where money just drops in every month and someone else manages the property, someone else is the legal owner of the property, etc. And so now that company can just pay me a dividend every month and a salary every month, and it's a lot simpler what you don't want is all these £100 and £200 coming into this living account because then it's going to look really complicated to the mortgage lender. And, and you might think, oh, what difference does it make? A massive difference practically, no difference in terms of numbers, no real difference in terms of complexity, but practically when you present your bank account to the lender they might want to look at your company bank account that's fine you can show them these are all different clients that are paying you on a regular basis similar amounts of money and they might ask to see invoices that's fine you can invoice the owner of the property for the hundred pounds that's no problem at all and all of a sudden it, it becomes much more simple much simpler much more vanilla 
I talked about capital gains. If I own a property personally and I sell it and I want to utilise my capital gains tax allowance, then I, I need to receive that uh, capital gain personally. So I want to take my £25,000, £24,000 into a personal account and then I need to declare that on my personal tax return at the end of the year. Simple. However, any surplus profit above that amount, there's no point in me taking that into my personal account because I'm going to get taxed on it at the prevailing capital gains tax rate. So either uh, 18% or 28% depending on your low or high rate tax or basic or high rate tax bracket. So rather than pay 28% capital gains tax, you might choose for a company to charge you, one a company that you own, to charge you an estate agent fee. And that can be quite a large amount depending on how much work that company's done. So if that company has done viewings, and of course you work for that company, right? So you can do the viewings, you can do the staging, you can do the negotiation, you can do the chain chasing. That can amount to tens of thousands of pounds. That company can invoice you as part of the transaction for, let's say there's a £45,000 surplus, you take £25,000 tax-free, and then if your company invoices you £20,000, you've now got that money um, into that company that company will pay 19% capital gains tax unless it has expenses to offset against it, which it may well have. Um, and that company can now pay you a dividend or can invest in property itself, etc. Now, we're getting into quite complex tax affairs. I'm not an, <laughs> I'm not an architect. Neither am I an, <laughs> an accountant. You need to run this by your own accountant. But there are ways, completely legitimate ways, of having money go into different companies so long as you have the, the, the paperwork correct. So my take-home message to you guys is do this in advance. Set your own mortgage application landscape, your own mortgage application documentation up in advance. So when the property comes along, you're ready to rock and roll. Now, when the property does come along, what do you need? Well, you need to make sure that it's a vanilla property, which is unlikely given that it's, you know, sophisticated property investing that we're talking about. But make it as vanilla as possible. So if it and you can do this on behalf of the, and you might say, oh, it's the vendor's responsibility to have a gas safety and ASTs in place. I've, I do all of that for my vend, for my vendors. So if they've got old ASTs that they can't find, no problem. Sit down with the tenants and sign new ones and then give them new ones. If um, And especially if the paperwork's weak and you're going to inherit the tenants, sign them up on new ASTs. Um gas safety certificates get a new one done um, epc check it make sure that it's the minimum level required soon to change while looks of it it's, it's creeping upwards it would seem in the next few years um check that you've got the um planning permissions relevant planning permissions in place check that the windows if they've gone in um after i think it's 2015 no 2005 if it's after 2005 that you've got the right uh fence a certificate for it if you haven't then tell the broker up front so you can get an indemnity against it so tell the broker and the lawyer up front the conveyancer up front um do you have your boiler service record do you have um anything that the the lender's likely to ask for make sure that you have that in advance now 
if you've got all that ready to go on day one, that's going to accelerate the buying process so much. It's going to make it so much easier for you to buy this property and get lending on it. It doesn't mean they won't ask you crazy questions. And one of the hardest decisions that you'll make as a property investor is when to cut your losses, give up on a mortgage lender and go with a new one. And in my experience, normally people do it too late. People hang in there and hang in there and hang in there when they should start again. Now, the interesting thing on that is there's nothing to stop you applying for two mortgages at the same time. To the best of my knowledge, there's no rule against that. And if you've got a deal and people go, oh, no, I'm not I'm not doing that. I'd have to pay for two valuations. Well, if you've got a deal that's going to make you 50 or 100 grand and a valuation costs you 500 quid, you can often get free legals. Sometimes you get free val. Um, crack on with two get one going and do another one so that if the if the valuers now i would always go with different valuers so check that the lenders are not going to use the same panel because you could end up with the same value going out twice and he he's the one that says oh this looks like a hmo because it's got locks on the doors and it's like no 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 they've just got locks on the doors from from historic i'm going to let this as a single ast well i'm going to decide it's a hmo there are some really subjective decision making that goes on with uh, rick surveyors and that can that can cost you literally tens of thousands of pounds so there's nothing to stop you doing two applications at the same time or starting with the most likely one but being ready to go on the second one if there's a problem and if your broker says no i'm not doing that no problem at all instruct another broker on the second mortgage and see which comes through first always of course pay both brokers you don't want them getting upset because you've pulled the plug but i'm just trying to give you an insight guys into the fact that these brokers lenders conveyancers are having to be so so diligent now so so pedantic and it's pointless getting upset about it i'll be honest i struggle with the level of detail they now require and so i partner with people um vanda my wife she's a a a corporate lawyer by training she worked for years as a, a corporate lawyer she's great at filling all the forms and not missing anything i partner with jv partners where they're buying the properties so that they can do the mortgage application so i don't have to sit and fill in forms i'd rather go and meet with three vendors do three deals and take half the profit from each and have someone else do the buying and the management for me, which is how I typically JV and I'm now building my portfolio because I don't really want to spend hours filling in the forms. And what I have found, and this is interesting, is it's a hard thing to delegate to team because you have to give them access to every single financial detail in your life and that requires a massive amount of trust plus the stakes are really high you can't afford for them to make mistakes plus it's constantly changing so the application this month is not the same as the application next month because you've bought a house you've sold a house your income's changed your proof of address needs updating so it's i think it's a thousand pound an hour task that you need to retain you or your your spouse or your business partner need to retain um and it is one of the last things if ever that you're going to um leverage and delegate guys i really hope that's been a valuable episode for you there is so much to it i could talk all day on it but hopefully i've given you some insights into what you need to do to make this the the now it's now the hardest part of investing property is getting long-term mortgages how to make that part of the process smoother how to make it more reliable if you've got questions don't hesitate to contact us you can drop us an email you can jump on the website ethicalpropertypartners.com and in the meantime guys happy investing Mm -hmm.
Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.